The artist isn't a fluke. You know, he, he always has been important, important. And his commentary, you know, the, the, his creativity or her creativity, you know, their aesthetic values, they've, they've always meant something. They've kind of aroused people. And also, it's a historical sense of aesthetics in some ways. The guest on today's podcast is David Milne. David is widely considered one of Australia's more significant contemporary artists. He was born in Scotland in 1946 and moved to Australia when he was 20 years old. David and I have known each other for a while now, and I feel really privileged to call him a friend. In a technical and a theoretical sense, few artists are as knowledgeable as David. He's also one of the most kind and warm-hearted people I've ever met. When he came over to record the podcast, he also brought one of his paintings, which he gave as a gift to me. I'm personally a massive fan of David's work, so for me this was a a thrill which is hard to quantify. I'll upload a photo of it to the podcast's Instagram page in the next few days. David is currently represented by Metro Gallery in Armidale. Uh, We sat down to discuss his work and the art world in general. If you like this conversation, review it with 5 stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or follow me on Instagram, a recorded time podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. be important I mean the hierarchy of what's important and what isn't however the artist's views have historically you know have always been important right from the Luska caves Altamira caves you know the meeting places were decorated with the, the bisons and the bulls and they were like the Sistine Chapel Roof initially, so the artist isn't a fluke. You know, he he always has been important, important, and his commentary. You know, the, the, his creativity or her creativity. You know, their aesthetic values. They've they've always meant something. They've kind of aroused people, and also, it's a historical sense of aesthetics in some ways. So it is important. What do you think of the caves at Lascaux? Well... Or Altamira? Yeah, well, I, you know, it doesn't snap my guard to tell you the truth, but it's that's just because I'm, that doesn't interest me. You know, I, I grew up with them. You respect it, but you don't necessarily I warm respect to it. it. Yeah, I... I Look, it does nothing for me. It's mm. anthropological. And yes, it's, they're masterpieces. But isn't that, don't you find that weird that by today's standards, they are masterpieces? I mean, there's 
the line is so confident, the draftsmanship's incredible, and yet they exist completely outside our culture. Totally, yeah. Mm. And the, the, you know, it's like the, the evolution, you know, Neanderthal man, Paleolithic man, Homo sapien, and, you know, we could go on, and then the debate about, you know, that we came out of, you know, we were a fish or a lungfish and, and now with a computer, a lot of Darwin's theories, not, he was a genius, but now some of them are in doubt even. What do you mean? Well, you know, we all, we've evolved. And I'm putting this in context with the, the, the painters or the artists of the Altamira, uh, the, the uh, Spanish cave paintings. We... I don't think we are necessarily fully, uh, you know, I think we, somehow we were not, we didn't develop as Darwin has said. And Darwin had some doubts. He was a genius and a true scientist. And he'd write his doubts at the end of his paper, you know, like in the margin. And we've discovered through science that he was right to have doubts about it. That right, you know. What's wrong about his theory? Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. That's why he's such a great scientist, because in his period, in his period, his time, um, he didn't have all the technology. But now we know that we, we are programmed. You know, like we're being designed just like a computer. And you have to have a... By nature, you mean? Well, yes. Well, um, do you mind if I smoke, by the way? Not at all. No. Um, the 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 point I'm making, or the the latest research is making, it's not me who's making it, but we have to have a program in us. It's not it doesn't evolve. You know, once a program's in, we can play around with it, but the initial program itself has to work perfectly. You know, uh, if, if it's, it's, it's a lot of information doesn't fit and work together properly. Something couldn't just come from nothing. Is that what you're I saying? don't think it could. Mm. I'm, just, I'm just a dumb guy, but mm. I, I'm getting too philosophic here. But I think that, back to your question, that man, being an artist, has always been part of us, and that doesn't just happened by accident, you know, just like the program that programs is. Or when Darwin said we have, you know, the, the little beaks or the big long beaks to get the water. I mean, sure, no one's denying it because of the time and period. But now we know, that, you know, one single cell becomes two cells. But it's, each one has to be right. This has to have its program. Just like a, this came to me because of computer. Just a computer, if it if it's got a, doesn't work. I mean, if it doesn't have the right information, if it doesn't have the program, it doesn't work. So I think it's a long stretch for um, the, someone to say that we came from a lungfish for me, but I'm Scottish from the Highlands, you know, in Scotland. You know, I, I, did, <laughs> it, I know what you mean. Uh, I know what you mean. Um, it's, but it's because you'll always hear people talk about science as something antithetical to religion but i've always just thought that the 
none of the stories in the Bible are more fantastical or amazing or sublime than the Big Bang as an idea. Not mm. saying it didn't happen, mm. uh, but it's just the, the idea of all the matter in the universe being you know, compressed into the, the head of a match. Mm. It just seems like the most religious event or, or comparable to a religious event ever. Yeah. And they're almost, it's, it's hard. I mean, my, my inclination, my inclination is that there is some creative force behind everything and that science can't necessarily explain everything, but obviously I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's, I, just, I, that's just my I instinct. Know, I think you do it. It's your instincts. It, um, I mean, but when I'm not going to know, I mean, if, if if God is there, you know, like I've got the Judean Christian God, you know, from being Scottish, and the way it's laid out, as you're saying, it's kind of very fantastical. Um, however, it's it's you know we can still break it all down to scientific sort of formulas and so on, and. The Big Bang Theory probably did happen. However, for me, it was my average IQ. I see there's a lot of things coming together. You know, things that fuse, or electronic fields, as they called it, the cosmic soup, or someone called it that. But it makes sense to me. Nothing happens just as one tiny cell on its own. Um, but oh. I'm, I'm getting away from that. Oh, we can, yeah, we, can rant, we can rant as much as, as we want, though, on this. I, um, I, I was even thinking the other day, I was watching this time lapse of the universe. It's this beautiful CGI mock-up of what's going to happen uh, in the future of the universe. And I was thinking whilst I was watching it, people will say that humans aren't the centre of the universe, and we probably aren't. But in the sense that if we are the most interesting thing that occurs in the universe surely where our existence is the point of the universe. And I'm not saying we are the most interesting thing in the universe, but unless there's an alien species out there that's more interesting than us, until then I'm going to assume we are. Our existence is the point of the universe, if that makes any sense. To- totally. Mm. Oh, no, it, it totally makes sense. Mm. Also, I've discovered that in our DNA, it's our DNA, our personal DNA, you know, from our parents and grandparents, etc., and biologic man, and, you know, it only covers our big toe. What do you mean? Well, you know, the actual, our historical DNA from our forefathers, it, in terms of our bodies, how it's made up, is only covering our big toe. As in the, the, the complexity of it? Yes, is... the rest of it is uh, complex. It's got all these uh, pluses and minuses and uh, protons and neurons that the, are keeping our bodies alive and, and our guts and um, they're not a, they're much more of that than it's in their actual DNA and I'm not talking through a hole in my head because I've just been reading about it mm. you're quite interested in DNA generally but genetic modification when that's and, what I, I did a whole series on it that's when I started to discover I've become more kind of spiritual because you brought it up uh, and more respectful of the, the whole concept that it's not an accident. You know, the helix and... Uh, it's almost too beautiful to be an accident as well. 
when you see like the design of a helix or oh, it's um, gorgeous mm. have you do you know what crispr is have you heard of crispr no it's this new technology uh, a scientist called jennifer dowdner uh, discovered it it's a i'm going to butcher the science here but it it's a type of it's a type of bacteria that can um, pretty much insert they, they essentially have the technology now to take the dna out of a jellyfish splice that into your dna and make you glow in the dark forever and they've put a moratorium on it because uh, they're essentially they're going to be breaking ethical boundaries Te- technology the technology exceeds our ethical knowledge if that makes sense understood yeah and uh it's just bizarre that they have the technology to do that these days and it's brave new world oh, it's, 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 oh, it's, i mean it's very exciting it's also kind of squeamish <laughs> mm. and that's what your arts your arts about that i mean a lot of it is there's because the symbols i know uh, they're riddles but i keep that to myself do you think it's important to keep it to yourself yeah because it's fun a lot of it's fun you know um it's not all profound it's just what you you know what's in my head and my sense of humor or the kind of irony often like it's, i often put in the constellations you know like pisces you know uh, whatever you know the symbols <laughs> but they're there for fun i mean they're locked they're overtones of meaning of the of the work but but uh, and a lot of the paintings that did to do with the uh, genetically modified uh, food would have these symbols, but there were the, you know, the Pisces, um, Libra, but there were, it's more for fun, you know, but it's meaning, you're, you're it's meaningful. In, you're interested in seeing sort of the architecture to life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, 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 it, it's another layer of it's another layer of meaning in each painting, and a layer that's there but we can't necessarily see. Well, people don't know it's there, but some people might pick it up. But back to your, your question about it, they're little riddles, and I, I learned that from looking at alchemy, the hidden uh, agendas, the codes there, uh, and they were just for the initiated. And that kind of, I like the idea of it. It's just kind of a snobby kind of way of looking at it, but I don't mean it that way. It's just, I like the idea of people finding these things out for themselves. Well, because well, a lot of the early scientists, whether it was in the ancient Greek world or even people like Isaac Newton, looked upon science as something very spiritual. Yeah, when he's one of my idols, Isaac Newton. Mm. This most wonderful, interesting man, suffer from terrible depression. I don't, thank goodness. Mm. Um, but even the Pythagorean, Pythagoreans thought that they they thought of numbers as the, as we were saying, the architecture of the yeah, world. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's right, and that's. I mean, look, we go back to Fibonacci. I mean, what a great way of teaching art, just with numbers and perspective. That's the same. Uh, Fibonacci is the same as the golden ratio, isn't yes, it? Yes. Well, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, Michael Fibonacci. Just, just for the listeners, could you describe what the golden ratio is? Um, zero, one. Zero, one, two, three, four, and two become five. Five and three become eight. And that's eight. the and that's the proportion things have to Correct. each other. Yeah, mm. and it, and it's the same in nature. I mean. It, it's not a coincidence. 
you can play around with it in many ways too. Do you use the golden ratio a lot in yeah, your work? Yeah, a lot. Or as that, or Memphis Design, which architects use. What's what's it called? Memphis Design. Memphis, yeah. You you you, you break it up into a grid. It's almost like desktop publishing, and it's a, it's a very when you're thinking around with a painting, you can because of the square or the, the 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 perfectness of it, you can take one bit out and put it somewhere else. It, you know, you can. And it always works. Regardless. And it always works. It's like a layout, and you can one piece will always fit. And that's, that's what I've noticed with your work is it's always very. Uh, pro- all your paintings are different, but they're all uh, in a sense of proportion, very aesthetically satisfying. Yeah, and, and and of course you can't see the grid there, but that's why it's also well balanced. However, it's like my little hidden puzzles in there. I also put it's called a discordant note. That was that's a translation from Italian. I mean that that's from Italian, and I like to do that too. So I, just here and there, tiny kind of creates a dissonance. In, yeah, in the word. and and the brain doesn't quite you know you you look. You don't at know it. what's wrong with it. Looking yeah. at it, mm. and, and you can't see what's wrong with it, but your brain knows <laughs> it's yeah. picked up because it's so perfect. And there's a little in your lyle. Your brain subconsciously realizes yeah. that there's something aesthetically incorrect. Mm. Now I've got it here. So everything, it's one, everything, every shape is exactly 1 to 1.618 Correct. the size of the shape next to it. Yes. I, I, it's not exactly, but it, it's mm. macroscopically almost, mm. you know, it's the tennis of variations. So just to give the listeners a better sense of your work, how would you describe your own work? Um, it's always uncomfortable, well, it, I find, as an uh, artist describing your own work, but uh, well, not, yeah, all the same. <laughs> I just... I sound like a tosser, you know, <laughs> which I, I don't want to sound like I that. feel the same talking about my work. <laughs> um, Just aesthetically then. Sit back and relax. <laughs> but um, it's it's abstract. It, it's, abstract. It, um, I like it to be thought-provoking. The, as I said, there are riddles in it to discover, and it's always a philosophic associations to it overtones of it and there's also a lot of uh, references to alchemy or the spiritual part of alchemy you know the the, the symbols and meanings um, which a lot of them I don't understand but when I was a kid I used to copy from the alchemy books we had at home we had a tiny little library or it was just a small room but it was just full of books and I was encouraged to go there and we had a lot of copper engraved books. Um, I'm still a reader, and I used to copy them. So it's never left me. Is, is that how you trained as an artist? Was copying? Yeah, other. Yeah, I, know, I, I, I mean, I went to art school, Sydney Tech. It, was, it wasn't a university in those days, um, but I, I, I worked as a restorer. I, I worked for some guys here in Melbourne. Copying pictures for them, um, restoring the pictures. Uh, sometimes it was a guy called Andrew Vanni. He would uh, the the people would have a an important artist. They would then sell the painting at auction. Um, for example, Sidney Nolan, and I would copy the painting before it left their home, so they still have a copy of it. 
it's, and I try to get as accurately as possible. The, I mean, not not the signature, but you know, the actual painting. And I was I was a natural at it. I was just one of those weird things, almost like a on the spectrum of when I can copy. I don't. I, I, that, was, that was exactly I, how I I um, grew up drawing as well. It was my dad had a vast library of art books, and ah. uh, I used to he had one uh, copy of all the master drawings in the royal collection. Yeah, and I used to just before I sort of developed a voice as an artist, I would. I, I thought it was important just to train academically in that sense and, you know, copy every Michelangelo drawing, copy every yeah. Leonardo drawing, copy every Raphael drawing. And it's it's interesting because I believe copying from nature is the most important way to learn. But at the same time, you can see when you're copying a, a drawing by Raphael, you can see exactly how he's developed tone. You can see, you know, how he's used cross-hatching, for example. or And it's sort of, it's a it's a lesson in itself and a shortcut way to being able to do that yourself and you took you're copying from the best from the best you're being taught by the best do you find it interesting how uh, at least i found at art school that all the masters of say the renaissance or the 17th century as well were just they're scorned and seen as uh, traditional is the word that's that's thrown around a lot do you do you find that interesting that well i i, I only went there for six months this is a, a Sydney Tech or the National Arts School, which is, a, but it was an actual technical college, like like same as cooking and so on. Um, but it didn't impress me. I, I mean, I loved it, but I was serious, you know. And and also it was the sixties, and the American who I happen to love a lot of them now, but like Warhol. Mark Roscoe, Rosenberg, Barrett Newman, look, Nolan, all those guys were becoming big at the time, or had become big. Um, and I thought, you've got to be joking. This is not art, you know. The artists from the 60s? Yeah. So, the, what, so you don't, do you not appreciate? Uh, I do now, mm. uh, totally, but because I've become an abstract painter. But it's just a learning, you know, I didn't have a good time at art school at all. I just thought it was, I mean, they don't teach you anything technical um, these days, I don't think, anyway, at most art schools. I mean, you can't say that for all art schools, but uh, it's almost, technique's almost scorned in, in general. I think it's almost seen as a artefact of, you know, this patriarchal society that everyone's critical of these days. And, and also there's a class system in art today um, where to... Like to have a benchmark, a trade benchmark, or you know, technical excellence. It's like you're, um, well, that's you know, it's really this, the the concept's important, and it is, and I'm all for that. And the meaning of it could be more important. However, what about the technical excellence? You know, how, uh, uh, I, I I help some of the kids at work, right? Because I'm old, so I showed them how to do it. And the other day I explained to this woman, who's a very good painter, she said, can I help her? I said, but you don't need my help, you're so good. She said, no, no, academically. I said, yes, okay, what do you want to know? She says, you know, to get the, in the landscape, to get the light slightly lighter, just on the edge of the landscape, you know, the hills. I said, oh, that's called the perumbra. She'd never heard the, mm. heard the term. They don't teach that anymore. They, 
you know, some fundamental things of classical art, and it works just as well in modern painting. And as you, you were saying, it's it's not that there's anything wrong with contemporary art in general or installation work or highly conceptual work, but my sense has always been that you should learn your lines before you forget them. I, I agree totally. Mm. I, I, I mean, why on earth shouldn't you learn your craft? Um, how can I put it? Um, the influence of those great painters, they'll help you through everything. And you'll just develop totally as a painter. So even though you're doing just dots, but you still agree with it totally, that you should be able, if you can you draw the chair, you draw it in perspective, unless it's a deliberate attempt, you know, the modern primitive or whatever style you're doing, but not to be able to draw, not to be able to fundamentally have the basics. Just like I write that, it's not just knowing the alphabet, it's syntax, uh, how to create an atmosphere. Same with painting. It was Hunter S. Thompson, apparently when he was younger, used to just write The Great Gatsby over and over again just to get a sense of the syntax and the beat. Mm. Uh, a masterpiece, mm. uh, Fitzgerald. Uh, but look how, but look how different Hunter S. Thompson is from F. Scott Fitzgerald as mm, a writer. Oh, totally, and oh, even and, as people too. I mean, who doesn't like both of them? Mm. And totally different kinds of guys. Describe how you work from the inception of an idea to how you actually paint it. Uh, What's your process? Well, it's sort of Plan B usually. <laughs> um, when it's a whole jumble of things. You come up with a concept, something stimulates your interest you, and you're enthusiastic about it. Then you have to be captivated by it. You know, you have to like being absorbed by it. And then you also have to do a technical, you know, technical excellence part of it too. And once you get it planned out, I do small drawings first, conceptual drawings, play around with a colour palette. Then I project it up onto a canvas, larger. What do you project onto the canvas? The whole image. But, it's like but based, a on, based off the drawings? Based on the drawings, yeah. Not so much the colour. So that's a basic composition. So it's laid out, like a press layout. Um, and then from there... It's evolved. I'd sing sometimes, I take things out, but the main fundamental concept is strongly positioned on the canvas and composed in such a way that there's a nice positive negative feel to it, which seems to work from, you know, it makes them beautiful, the, the compositions. And then I just play around with them, it, I can relax with them. And it's not like a profound experience. Once you, it's a very profound experience. I'm sure you feel the same when you're working. But then on it's it, quite methodical like, once you've actually got. Yeah, the, mm. that's a that's a good word. And it can be quite boring. Well, I mean, it isn't boring, but you know, it's meditative. Mm. Um, do you listen to music when you paint? Well, well, you... After, afterwards, after I've designed it, after I've worked it out, and I'm confident that. that 
Every, the baby's going to be all right, you know. I, but you don't paint in silence when you're painting the actual image? Or you, or you uh, no, when, once I've got the, the painting drawn up and laid out, composed, yeah, I listen to music, audio books. Um, what music do you listen to? Everything. I, I, um, I deliberately, because of my neurons, you know, that's what goes into your head, I deliberately have all kinds of music. So that I listen to classics one day or in the morning. I listen to popular music in the afternoon. I have a whole selection of favourite music, which is kind of uh, soul, sentimental kind of music. But I listen to all music, uh, purely because I, because I'm old. I want to stay alert. I want to stay with what's what's wonderful. I'm the same. I. Different music is perfect for different moments of the day for when you're painting. I mean, yeah. early early in the day uh, when you've got all the mental energy. I, I find classical music's great to listen to when painting, but then when you, you're you on your fourth or fifth coffee and you need that last push to the finish finish line, popular music, that it, it almost acts as a drug uh, music, the way it can oh, stimulate different feelings well, or motivate you. Oh, it does. You're, look, they say that music is the arts for the soul. And I, I'm quite convinced it is. Just like you're saying, I, at the end of the day, I, I've got um, pumped up music. You know, like the singers of my generation, the, the belters. You know, mm. um, so, so that, that's that's how I work. That's, and I get up at at five thirty in the morning. I mean, I'm at the drawing board by six. Um, Do you work best in the morning? Yeah, mm-hmm. my, my whole. Brain or my creativity's in the morning. I'm the same. I feel a bit scattered in the afternoon. You you seem to have a very comprehensive understanding of chemistry as far as painting is concerned as well. Is that correct? Yes. When I when I see your work in person, it's quite. You've got a very good understanding of glazes, varnishes, yes. uh, density of the paint, how much oil to use. I learned all that from working as a restorer, and. And copying paintings. Um, How long did you work as a restorer for? Uh, most of my life until about 20 years ago. I actually made a living at it. Yeah, um, did you ever have to restore quite significant artworks? No. That would be quite nerve-wracking, I imagine, if you had to. Uh, well, I've met a man. I, I haven't seen him in years. He got married and he just sort of but he did. Uh, and I've seen how they do it. But, I mean, I painted some... Uh, copied some uh, important works and I, I restored like 18th century paintings and I did a, quite a good job at it but if it was if it was beyond me I always said better get an expert because you have to use the same varnishes the same paint um, do you believe all that should be restored because there's obviously two schools of thought when they were doing the Sistine ceiling in the 80s that Japanese restoration team there were lots of people protesting saying that it should be preserved as it is with the i, I wish i knew the answer hmm. uh, because they can stuff it up i mean but regardless of whether they stuff it up do you think it should be preserved as a artifact in the sense of i mean the the sistine ceiling obviously had all the smoke from 500 years that, yeah that had just clogged up the the ceiling and stuff but i'm i personally prefer seeing it the way the artist uh painted it yeah so i, I i'm a firm believer in restoration so long as you don't fuck it up. Yeah, it, when 
that's exactly how it should be to clean it up as best as you can, but to be careful that you don't wipe it all off. Mm. Um, It's a a, a complicated question. I I mean, they'll eventually come up with some process. I've I've seen what they do sometimes, to take the whole canvas, you know, the oil off the canvas. Have you seen that? No. How do they do that? uh, They put it on a hot, like a table like this, it's warm, and they put the painting onto it and heat it up, and then they will get a big... What, does the linseed oil soften up? And it separates from the pigment? Yeah. It's a matter of fact... But why do they do that? To put it on on another canvas. Um, They don't use the the canvas and put it onto another canvas to take the actual whole paint, you know, and they put it on a like a like a cotton sheet over the top, very and put that with a big brush, wipe it all over, and then gently lift the whole thing off. That sounds like it would be so difficult to do. <laughs> but you can't believe it when you see it, it's, mm. and it's beautiful to watch. And then they press it onto the new canvas or the linen. I mean, partly why I really like your work is that your technique reveals itself at the same time, that it conveys the illusion that is the artwork. So in other words, the viewer is very aware of your process. And, I mean, as we were saying before, another example would be cross-hatching. The viewer is aware that it mm. read his tone, but is also very aware that it's just a collection of crisses and crosses. I've always found work that is like this to be really uh, aesthetically satisfying and exciting. Would you agree? Yes, I do. It's, I can't... To do with traditions of excellence, um, accuracy, precision, um, and I, I certainly love a lot of artists. It's improvisation. Picasso, for example, you know, is just a genius. But I also like the, the scholarship in art and a sense of this is precious. And I guess that's why a photocop a photocopy or or a printed photo isn't nearly as exciting to look at as a painting. N- never. Even though it's much more accurate, you're not aware of how it's been done. Well, I, I like you, I give it totally. It's, to look at the actual painting, I mean, it's just magical. Mm-hmm. The prints, even like I, I bought some prints not long ago of uh, Paula Rege, uh, Rega of. Rago, Yeah, Paula Rago. Lithographs. She's one of my favourites. She's one of my favourite living artists for sure. She's incredible. And this was a series of Jane Eyre. Now, I mean, I'm a huge fan and they're great. I like to look at them, but it's not the same as a real. Mm. Not that I'm putting my face on the carpet, and but. Once you own it, then it's not the same as a real, you know, not the same as a, the real drawing, the real strokes. Because mm. I mean, in in my work, I, I try to try to get the same effect. Rather than mixing paint on the canvas, I do sort of single strokes of paint. Uh, they almost look like patchwork up close, and it's it's sort of similar to how Van Gogh painted, but I, I guess a bit more detailed. And, yeah, I do it for the same reason. It's representational, but at the same time it reveals the process oh, when, to the viewer. When I saw your work, I was bowled over. It's, 
you can construct it. That's what that's what I like about it. I mean, yeah, you're looking at. I looked at your, you know what you're doing, because I could see the the, the way you did the layers, and even the colors, one color over top of the other, and the, they weren't that precise. There was a confidence, mm. not a negatistical confidence, but there was a. A, a craftsmanship confidence that you, this guy knows what he's doing. You don't want to look mechanical. It didn't look mechanical. Mm. And also, you didn't worry about dribbly bits. Mm. You, you look like masters. Just leave them alone. And I, I find it, that, I mean, I'm glad you say that because my biggest weakness I find is that I'm a bit too OCD with my painting and I try to resist that as much as possible to convey that confidence and, mm. and that uh, sort of impasto uh, yeah, technique. Uh, so, talking about Paul Arago, who do you think is the greatest living artist? Well, that's a fantastic question. Uh, for me, it's Monday, you know, I have a famous living artist. She's one of them. And on Thursday, it's someone else. Um like, I, I do the Aussie painters. I've got um, William Robertson, mm. uh, Rick Amor. I mean, I could, I could go. Just the geniuses, uh, Louise Hedlum. There's so many great, great serious artists. Another chap called Tom Albert. Um, Rick Amor's work in particular had, had such a resonance in what's going on in the world today. You know, those... Uh, abandoned cityscapes just screamed out you know COVID and it's got this really apocalyptic feel to it but in an entirely convincing way well I mean I've been lucky enough to meet him a few times he I was being painted by a friend of mine Peter Zagris and he's at the studio quite a lot and he's a shyish man reserved but He's a, you could see from time to time he has a wonderful sense of humor, but he's very private. He's serious, you know what I mean? But that's a seriousness to him. I was a bit shy of him. Um, but that was a real thrill. This a guy coming in and going and discussing art with Peter. Um, but he's, he's one of my favorite living artists. I've got other ones, but the six, the, the Australian ones. Do you think you can quantify artistic merit? Yes, I really do. Because um, a lot of people, you hear a lot of people say, uh, especially at art school, you hear people say, you know, who are you to say what is good art and what's bad art? Um, but then I kind of think, what's the point if we're not going to at least strive uh, for what, you know, to achieve something great in art? And then you've got to draw comparisons. Well, like it goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like, can you draw? Can you paint? Do, do, do you know how to make color go back? How things to come forward? And to, how do you contemplate it? Well, the, the Arts Council in England has a standard assessment system and it's called uh, quality metrics and it's to do with funding other artists so you know so 
there's a there's a bullet point. Uh, you have to, you have to tick the boxes off. Um, originality, risk, excellence. That's a criteria. You know the concept, the presentation, distinctiveness, the challenge, the relevance of it, the rigor. So, I think it's one of the best ideas possible. A lot, a lot of people wouldn't agree with me because it's rigid, but it's like a sportsman has to do the same. Mm. You know, an elite sportsman, they have, they've got to be able to sprint at a set, you know, jump, stop, start. Mm. <laughs> they've got to have this, these fundamental uh, abilities. Mm. So a good way to find out to test someone is to, you know, as long as you've got some of those major bullet points in your armory, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I, I feel art's lost its competitive edge somewhat. I mean, you always hear about uh, the intense competitiveness between artists of the past, whether it was Matisse and Picasso or Van Gogh and Gauguin, but the art world seems seems more democratic rather than meritocratic these days. I mean... Uh, it's borrowing. This is borrowing a line from Robert Hughes, but we seem to have lost the ability to determine what art is good, what art is bad, and why it's important to know the difference. Well, there is. I know some artists that they lost one another. I mean, we also know them historically, but I know some living artists. That, you know, they're here in Melbourne. Some of them are friends of mine. They don't like one another. And, I mean, it's it's... It's sad, but they're really kind of... It's not egos, I'm sure of it. There's just something in in their kind of... their desire to achieve. And there's other artists in some way in the psyche and getting in their way. Um, you should always be competitive but not take art too seriously at the same time. Yeah, and I always... I help everyone... I, I've got a repetition at our studio. I mean, because of my experience, and I should be able to share it, I, I, I don't have competition with anyone. As a matter of fact, I, to the opposite, I give workshops for free to anyone that needs a hand. I think I offered you once. Mm. Said, you want when to, I first met you at the studio. If you want to come and have to do straight lines or sharp edges. Um, but I don't like to think of it. I, I, I don't like to think of those... Uh, people that they, they turn into jerks. <laughs> I'm sure you find the same thing. Mm. Um, and there's a bitterness in them sometimes. And they're always belly aching. <laughs> mm. Have you noticed? I know. Uh, but do you, think, do you think it's important for an artist to be able to explain his or her work? Because I, I find the best, some of the best art writers unofficially are the great artists of the past. I mean, no one's better at talking about art than Picasso, Francis Bacon, or even they're better at it than even the great critics. Mm. Um, and I guess that's just because they've got a an understanding of it that a critic wouldn't have. Well, it's um, is it important? Well, yes, it is. But I I don't like to do it. Mm. I I agree. It's uh, it's you should be able to do it, but not but you should shy away from doing it. it. Once you explain what your work is about, it kind of sets that idea in stone rather than if you leave it, 
slightly ambiguous. It's a living, breathing piece of art that's open to interpretation again and again. I agree with you totally. Again, um, it's it's not always easy, you know, to interpret art, and the pressure is on people today because of how fast everything is to explain their art. And like, as I said, I've just finished the show and had um, to explain to two possible purchasers what the work was about, which I did. And I didn't want to do it, but the team there, you know, the, 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 the two uh, managers of the gallery running the show, they would worked really hard. And I'd be pretty weak not to pitch and really put in and because it's a commercial enterprise, you want to be paid as well. You want a dividend at the end of the exhibition. So it, it's, it is a complicated knot because you're shy to sort of promote yourself, but the people around you, they've been working so hard and you know, telling the general public and collectors that this guy, he's good, that you know, there's something to what he's painting. There's something to what I'm painting. So I'd be, I'd be pretty selfish not to to pitch, you know. Well, I guess it's good to let the dealer and the gallery workers know what the concepts are and then let them tell the audience what it's about. But you yourself, uh, perhaps it's best to keep your mouth shut and let them do the talking. That's what I would like. Mm. Um, but it, sometimes the, the purchaser or just a potential purchaser would like to meet the artist. So you, it's a difficult place you can be in sometimes. And I don't want to uh, exaggerate, lie. Uh, on the other hand, I don't want to simper, you know, and want to be liked at that either. It, it can just be as bad as being rude. Um, Aside from who, which artists you like, and of course, every artist wants to be as original as possible. But mm. which, which artist do you think your work is most derivative of? Which which artist has is perhaps most similar to your work, or has had most impact on your work? Well, I have been asked this a lot, and I, I can honestly say none of them. I love them all. I mean, I copied them. I've copied Hockney. Uh, I've copied all the masters, modern masters, classical masters, comic books, steel engravings, etchings. And for me, it's just, I don't copy them. You know, do, do you consider yourself an abstract artist? Yes, I do. But your work is, when I look at your work, I almost see it as you've created your own visual language that within that world is almost quite representational. You're, you're creating a, a different reality. And in that sense, I don't look at it as, as abstraction because, it's, because for something to be abstract, you need to be abstracting from our reality if that makes yes, sense. Yes, well, it's abstract, but in actual fact, it's almost like scientific drawings or, in some ways, or even botanical drawings. You know, there is a, a meaning to them. They're not, they're not improvised. They're not purely expressionist. They're not, mm. no. But, I mean, I do, there's so many artists I love, and I'm, I, I do half an hour in the morning uh, on the computer, Half an hour in the evening, just looking at, you know, the market, new art in Mexico, Pacific region, America. Um, 
I totally saturated in it. And it, 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 there's just so much talent around. Where do you think the best art scene in the world is at the moment? Probably Asia. The, really? Oh, they're kicking our asses. They're so good. I'm quite ignorant of a lot of uh, art out of Asia. Oh, you just can't. It's, I mean, I don't know how to teach them, but everything is so uh, evolutionary. You know, you know, they're doing huge monolithic art as well for city squares and. I imagine as the world's becoming more globalized, cultures that have traditionally been outside of the Western canon are going to bring something new into it and they're going to be unaffected by the artists of the past mm. and consequently more original. Well, I went to uh, Shanghai in 1997 and 1999. I had a show in 1997 and a show in 1999. The political atmosphere was sort of weird. They were, they were so lovely to me. However, they thought I was a spy, or like an art spy. Because yeah, they had the art police on to me, asking me questions. I, I knew what was going on. And it was only like six years or so after Tiananmen Square and all that in, uh, in oh. China. So it's... Well, it was sort of quite a strange... I mean, I didn't feel threatened or, or anxious, but I could tell what was going on. You're a pretty conspicuous spy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scottish artist. Yeah. And they were asking me who my friends were. And I said, well, they're not my friends. These are people being nice to me. Did you get invited to their home? I didn't know, but if you get invited to someone's home, in, or in Shanghai anyway, it's unusual. They, you know, they socialize out in restaurants and so on. But well, I, it's, it's saying it's quite invasive or something to go to someone's home, is it? Uh, when privileged, I guess. Or, um, an honor. An honor. Definitely an honor. If you go to uh, when this is this was in the late nineties, right? But to get back to what I was thinking it, afterwards, they were really copying a lot of Western art. Now, how long ago was that? They're so original. I mean, it, it's seriously original. Like the what is that called? The that humor they have. Uh, superficial humor, satorial humor, or something. They Satirical. Satirical, is it art or where the guy laughs and mm. it's all the teeth and exaggerated, but it's painted in almost like in a classical romantic way. Mm. And that, that, I forget his name, Xi Zheng, someone who paints his family, like they're all army clothes. You know, oh, the Daniel I've seen them actually. I'll just get it up so we get the Xing Zhang, oh, they're so clever. Xing Long? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen these before. Oh, they're just... And they're, they're like the Dutch masters. The painterly, yet yeah, the paint is just a cream. It's. Mm. What would your three desert island paintings be? Well, anything by Hieronymus Bosch. Um, really? That's quite sinister to <laughs> be having on a desert island. Well, uh, uh, um, well, they, he's, he just fascinates me. He still does, even after all these years. Uh, Giorgio O'Keefe, mm -hmm. um, my favourite artist is Derek Boots. He was, he was uh, 
Danish, I mean, born in Holland, Dutch. I don't know his work, I'll look it up. Oh, he's a, it was a religious painter. Um, How do you spell it? D-I-E-R-I-C. D-I... E-R-I-C. Mm-hmm. B-O-U-T-S. Got it. Um, and he it was one of the few artists to use a single vanishing point in his paintings. That's where you can see the back of the roof and the floor. Beautifully composed, and his... The... The... the, the intense emotion on the faces of the people, you know, their expression. And his ability to paint still life on the tables. Have you got any images coming up there? Yeah, I'll just turn around for you. Yeah. Um, These are more portraits. These are more portraits, but he also has a lot of, uh, you know, dining scenes, scenes in rooms. Um... It's interesting how the Dutch artists were the first to really achieve that intense realism, even before Da Vinci mm. and stuff. Have you ever have you ever read uh, David Hockney's Secret Knowledge? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. How as a he... matter of fact, I got it as a present from a friend of mine. Uh, he was managing director of Thames and Hudson, Peter Shaw here in Australia, and uh, th- that same week, uh, a guy was at the studio. And saw the book. He says, oh, I was wondering if this is, can I borrow it? I said, no, you can borrow it. I don't loan books. The, your copy of Secret Knowledge? Yeah, from yeah. the present from Peter. They're, they're beautiful editions as oh. well. Yeah. Anyway. Just for the listeners, uh, David Hockney, who's probably the most famous living artist today, he wrote a essay about 10 or 15 years ago uh, where he was uh, made the hypothesis that artists as early as the 14th, 40s, 1450s even, had used this uh, primitive form of a camera called a camera obscura, which is essentially allowed, allowed you to project uh, the sitter in front of you onto the canvas. Uh, and the reason he thought this was that there were, the way these images were painted uh, was hyper-realist in the sense that a camera would take a photo of it. You, the human eye doesn't see the world that way. Um, but these, these, it's, it's, uh, it's the way a camera would capture reality. And when, when he saw that, he was suspicious that a lot of artists like Caravaggio yeah. um, had, had actually used them. Yeah. That's fascinating. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it was his thesis as well. I think he was doing it as a thesis to, be, to begin with. Anyway, the, this guy, I'm just a dumb guy. I broke all my rules. He was a friend of a friend. I learned him the book. Never saw it again? Never saw him, never saw the book That's always how it happens when you lend books to people. (laughs) What? You never get it back. (laughs) Anyway, I've got a paperback copy of it now. You know, they've got another one that's Mm. a softer cover. What do you you think of Hockney as an artist? I love Hockney. I mean, I love listening to him. I even like to look at the guy. Mm. Um, I've got quite a lot of his etchings. Um, I've met his brother here in Melbourne, what does his brother do? He builds road trains. Uh, you know, like those big trucks that go across the desert. Oh, wow. Uh, Very uh, different to his brother then. Yeah. Well, I met him at a cocktail party and he said his name was Hockney. And I said, oh, that's a good name to have around. He said, yeah, David's my brother. I said, oh, goodness. Um, he peaked quite early, I think, though, as I guess all great artists tend to do. But, you know, those, those Los Angeles paintings... Yeah, well, just incredible I, the splash. And well, the, the latest work, 
What do you think uh, of it with the the, well, ar- I mean, the, the pad? No, no, but I like that idea that he's experimenting. He's got the courage to. He hasn't ruined his reputation, but he's had the guts to sort of keep. He's mm, interested. It's in gutsy it. for sure. Yeah, he pushes on with it, trying new things. But I mean, he's over with with all that stuff. Yeah, I think he realised soon enough that it was a bit but gimmicky. I, but I think it's hit great that he does it. You know, that I was thinking when when he was doing it, you, you're already limiting your technique because you can only do what the computer itself is programmed, what the iPad is programmed to do. Yeah. So it's already a restricted mm. uh, way of painting. Uh, but you- but Hockney, I just have a feeling about him. He just is a wonderful man, and he, and not many people of his stature would risk that. Mm. And people around him, obviously, the stroking him. I'm suggesting it only. I don't know. It's only an opinion, but they're all making. A dividend on him in some ways. What do you mean? Well, well, look, David, they're, they're just brilliant. You know, they're, they're masterpieces. I'm going to do a book for you, and this going to be, your dividend will be, and it'd be very hard to know what's real and what's not real hmm. uh, in terms of not sycophants around you, but serious people. But it's also it's a commercial enterprise. British artists. What I like about a lot of British artists is, I mean, you, in the American scene up until Pollock, once Pollock had happened and, you know, had done his drip paintings, everyone in America assumed that, you know, painting was dead, whereas the, the British painters had fucked that and kept pushing the medium further and further and you got mm. people like Kiefer, Albar. Genius. Geniuses. And I think I still think all the best artists in the world are in London, uh, you know, Frank Albach in particular. Oh, yeah. I think he's the he's my favourite living. Well, he rips so. right through the paper sometimes. Mm. You know, patches mm. <laughs> patches them up. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's the last of the him and Hockney are probably the last of the masters of the twentieth century, I'd say. Kiefer as well. Als Anslem. Is this Anslem Kiefer? Mm, Anslem yeah. Kiefer. Um, well, I read something about um Arbach. He was friends with Francis Bacon. And Freud. No. And Freud, yeah. I know him. Oh, Freud, yeah. Um, who's another genius. Um, Probably the best painter of the last hundred years, Bacon. Oh, just, I haven't ever... Up, up there with Picasso. Oh, totally. Oh, mm. And so interesting. Mm. I've watched some of his videos. Have you seen A Brush With Violence? That yes, documentary? yeah. That's my favourite documentary ever. Oh, and there's a book, is a book out uh, about... The, uh, violence as well, how violent he was. Um, he was also a horse, you know, uh, he was a gambler. They all were, uh, Freud and Bacon and well, Albach were obsessed with horses and gambling. But I am obsessed with horses too. Oh, you are as well. I have a little kitchen table sort of a mathematical formula that keeps losing me money. What's wrong? <laughs> it's very. It's a very British interest in general, isn't it? Well, I grew horse up with horses. Um and as a matter of fact, my mother said I was conceived under a horse. Oh, my goodness. It's horrible. To <laughs> what does she mean by that? <laughs> exactly. Mom, I please. imagine you wouldn't have pressed her further. <laughs> I, no, when I was little at the time, she, she didn't tell me. She was telling her sisters. And, the, and you overheard. And I overheard. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy, I didn't. <laughs> didn't need to hear that one. <laughs> no. Please, spare me. What's, um, what's the Scottish art scene like? When I, I I don't know much about the Scottish art scene, but I, as I said, I I um, 
look up. Because um, you moved to Australia very early in your, yeah, in your life, didn't you? Yeah, I was uh, 20 when I came here. Um, but the, um, the, um, uh, the Glasgow Art School um, is, is a very good art school. So that's all I know about the Scottish art. That um, they seem to do well, and the graduates of this uh, of Glasgow Art School um, win a lot of the um, Tate prizes. Like there's a five percent. I mean, twenty five percent of all the finalists are from uh, from Scotland. Yeah, from the. And you got Peter Doig, Scottish. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's he's also one of the one of the best. He's probably the best. Um, I mean, you wouldn't call him up and coming. I think he's in his mid forties, but oh, he, no, he's, he's, he's the best band. sort of young artist in the world. Mm. Him and Jenny Savile. I oh think. yeah, just just great too. But mm. Peter Doig, I love his work, mm. and also he's a guy that's got courage too. You notice how he, he then it's called the visual identity. You know, in the academic world where everything has to be similar. You know, style the. the but Doig has takes risks. Mm, there's not much. Cons- he, he doesn't necessarily have a consistent composition across the canvas. He, Correct. He puts in, as we were saying, very dissonant things in place. Um, your your work deals primarily with, as we were saying, the effect technology is having on society. But would you say that you see technology as something sinister? No, no. It it, it doesn't worry me. Technology. Is, I mean, technology is supposed to make things better for us. Mm. Um, even in art, I use technological instruments, you know, the compasses, um, rolling pens. So I, it's been nothing but a benefit for me. A lot of the mechanisms of, you know, this machinery and so on, I don't see anything wrong with it. But it is sort of killing off a lot of trade things or craft things. Mm. Uh, like uh, printing, uh, it's getting a, a, a lot of the hand done, made by hand skills are disappearing. It's almost the new religion of the 21st yeah. century. Because yeah. I dealt with a similar theme for about two years, a couple of years back, and I sort of represented it as something a lot more sinister. That that painting behind you uh, is was actually one of them. And the idea was sort of that technology is having a depersonalizing effect on us as humans. And that's why I took out the eyes. So by taking out the eyes, I was trying to make a connection between uh, the statues of antiquity and my sub- subjects, but in the sense that I was uh, depicting them almost as spectral statues of a bygone era. Almost, you know, like the figures at Pompeii, you know, after the Benning case. Yes, I, yeah. That's kind of how I was. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, uh, I mean, it's really... It makes me feel uneasy. <laughs> mm. That was the point. Isn't that an actor, comedian? Yeah, Mick Malloy. Yeah, he's yeah. a good guy. He actually owns it. Oh. Yeah, I've got a meeting up with him soon to get it back to him. Uh, do you feel that there are some themes and subjects that, in this politically correct culture, artists are un- unable to explore? Yes, yes. Because, uh, um, I mean... Well, male artists in particular, I feel that would be discouraged from painting the nude, for example, when it's obviously you know ripe for uh, artistic exploration. Well, yeah, uh, but uh, I, I, there is some kind of 
politically incorrect stuff that are really laws. I'll give an example. Uh, you know those artists that deliberately just try to offend for the sake of it. And shock value. Shock value. And then in 1961, Piero Mazzoni, um, his father had a can factory. So Piero Mazzoni took 90 cans and shit in them, mm. locked them up. And then in the 90s, or, yeah, late 80s, early 90s, they were selling the 90 cans at Sotheby's at Christie's. And it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not despicable because, you know, because it's politically incorrect. It's despicable because, as we were saying, the shock value. It's, you know, you're just swinging, oh. swinging at nothing. That's not what art's about. No, it's not. It's horrible. It, as someone said, it truly stinks. Mm. <laughs> I mean, art, art should be shocking if it's saying something true about the human condition, I guess, which is what Bacon was all about. You know, just the, but. But yeah. I, I can live, you're right, I can live with the bacon paintings of, you know, there were people in asylums. You know, that's why a lot of them are obese and a lot of people don't know it, the link between his, him and uh, f- f- his, f- no, his father or his grandfather, I forget. Uh, and he drew, in. And, but he also drew on, you know, a lot of uh, Edward Mybridge's oh, yeah, photographs. Oh, yeah, oh, no, I know. Disfigured yeah. people. And, but and, I can, I can live with those, but... The vulgarity of the poop in a tin. Mm. I mean, what a difference. Mm. One is a, a, a great master historically, and then Piero, just to get noticed, and that's all he's ever going to be known for. And the vulgarity of it. Mm. <laughs> it's. Uh, Do you feel painting's enjoying a resurgence at the moment? Well, I'm not aware of it because I'm in it. You know, I'm a participant for a fa- start. But I read up on it every day. Well, no, I don't read up on it. I mean, I watch YouTube on it mm. every day. Uh, I used to read the market. Um, and I've, I've, it's always, I mean, I've always just seen it as being very vibrant. Mm. Uh, you talk about competitive before. It's probably competitive. Um, you know, the different auction houses, uh, special interests, um, even even now the electronic medium and electronic galleries, cyberspace galleries, it's a very very exciting world when it comes to art. But I I can only do you know I've got twenty four hours a day like everyone else. Um, but it, but it I think it is vibrant. The, last year wasn't of course, but the COVID kind of ruined that somewhat. Mm. it's yeah 24 hours in a day it's the most painful thing for me anyway as an artist is that i'll never have enough time to paint all the pictures i want to paint do you feel the same i used to feel that way what i'm feeling now is because i'm on the clock i had a stroke did you know that no when did you have a stroke last year so that's why it was horrible yeah that's why i was away for a month (sighs) too then i went up i have a property in the country Mm. So I just, and the corona had helped me make my decisions. I got out of town uh, and I've, I recovered, thank goodness. Um, but what, what, did, what was the question again? Sorry. Uh, I was just not having oh, enough time yeah, in, in life to paint all the paintings yeah. you want to paint. Well, that was the best experience for me because 
I didn't do anything socially, not that I do a lot socially, but I really focused. I'm not saying I became serious. But it's given you a sense of urgency. Oh, it, it's just... And there's so many great painters. And I suddenly... I mean, I still experiment. But I, what I'd like to do, putting the next show together, is going to be my best group of paintings I'll ever do. Because and you're intent on that. I'm, I would just like to... The seriousness of it. You know, uh, to do the best I can do to pick a very interesting theme, which I'm looking at at the moment, and look to those great painters, look what they went through, what how they lived. Um, I'm sorry to hear about you having a stroke, David. That must have been terrible. Oh, no, no, I just live with it. I mean, it didn't go into my brain, thank God. But What, is, what does it feel like, having a stroke? Um, well, I didn't actually know. I woke up in the morning, and I was, I, I was walking sort of, Oddly, like uh, I kept veering off to the left, so oh, I thought, look, I better go. This could be a stroke, you know, so cause it, the symptoms of a stroke. So I went straight to the eye and ear place, um, and they said, yes, I've had a stroke after examining me. And then I went to see a specialist and uh, Hossa, and a wonderful Asian specialist and I've lost a lot of sight in my right eye um, and then the other part of the stroke had all my left leg my right arm my fingers were all tingling but I had another one not long ago <laughs> sorry to hear that David no 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 it's fine I should be dead that's why I want you know I became serious Everything. I mean everything's good I'm just re recovering from this. You know, I've got a feeling back in my hands. Mm. I'm doing exercises, which are the most boring things. <laughs> uh, Rehab and... Yeah. yeah. And my contemporaries. And we're not pretty people. <laughs> you know, jumping in out of the, the pool, it's, it's not a good look. Mm. <laughs> um, however, I've rallied. And, uh, and perhaps it'll be good for you. And what you were saying, it's made you more intent on... Getting your best work out. Well, I want to do quality work from now on. I said, not that I didn't. I mean, I've always been sincere, but I've got a much more intense approach now to the 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 value of art. You know, that I'll be gone. You know, probably ten years, definitely fifteen years. I won't be here. I would like to do some really good paintings because I've. Because of my idols, the great painters, I don't know how you feel, but I've never been quite good enough. Not that I feel bad about that. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, but looking at the masters. It's, it's always, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, my feelings have always been the same about the great masters. It's so depressing thinking that you'll never be as good as yeah. they were. And they must have felt the same way about oh, their I'm predecessors. Sure of it, yeah. So what are, you, what are you working on at the moment then? Well, I'm looking at the new theme. I was, I was looking at that, that, all that nonsense that's happening in, you know, the plight of women in, in Canberra at the moment and, uh, you know, uh, politicians and civil servants behaving badly. Mm. And they're being real assholes because they can give us all a bad name. Mm. Most guys I know 
I just hear everyday respectable, self-respecting yeah. guys, you know. Yeah, that's been my thoughts as well. I mean, it's I mean, obviously absolutely horrible and there certainly seems to be a, a culture of misogyny in uh, Parliament, but it's at the same time, I think it's a misrepresentation of the relationship between men and women to say that all men are evil. and They're not. And they're not, no. Um, and we so I decided to give it a miss. I spoke to a friend of mine and she said, well, you're not a woman, better leave it to the woman folk, so... I've done it. Now I'm looking at um, uh, the Nephilims. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Nephilims. No. No one seems to, but they're in the Old Testament in Genesis. I've never heard of them. Um, six, four, and they were um, sons of God. What are they, like creatures? Uh, yes, they're the sons of God. They came, um, liked uh, the daughters of man and came into them, and the woman had the children. Um, which I knew nothing about, you know. It's I'm pres- you know Presbyterian. <laughs> that was kept off away from us kids, all that sort of stuff. And but when I've spoken to people about it, no one knows about it. So I'm I'm researching that, and might just explore that, um, see if it can have links to alchemy, symbols um, about them. There were giants. Um, the Old Testament's so strange, just so fantastical. Well, it's, it's it's like the Greek myths. Yeah. Um, it's the most wonderful literature as well. Um, That's what I've always felt that way about. No matter what your thoughts on religion, you can't deny the poetry of the Bible. Oh, it's it's yeah, just sure. some of the most startlingly well-written stuff ever. And, you know, well, some of the, some of the most original thoughts that have ever been said as well, like you know, he who has not sinned cast the first stone. No matter how secular you are, that's a startlingly original thought. And well, I'm seventy five. I would my recommendation to anyone, uh, including an artist, have a spiritual life. You know, it doesn't have to be locked in, but regarding whichever tribe you want to be part of, read about it, get get into it, understand it. You'll find something there for you. The roadmaps of all the great religions are usually very, very good. And, you know, I, I get up in the morning, collect my thoughts, and it's a, it's a spiritual feeling that I'm part of something, I'm part of the status quo. I don't worry about God and not God. I just get on with stuff. Mm. But... I seriously, my life is better because I have a spiritual life. But it's not all locked into sort of a club. You know, I'm not a club member. You should. You know? I almost feel you should be sceptical of everything, including scepticism. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. Mm-hmm. Just, put, just get on with things. But be respectful, you know, have self-respect and be serious about your work. There's, there's nothing like it. It's fun if you're serious about it. Mm-hmm. Well, perhaps on that note, we can wrap this up, David. All it's, right. It's been great to see you, and uh, I'm really, really eager to see your next body of work. And, uh, yeah, thanks. thanks. Pleasure to be here.